to be able to plant a seed in a person's thought process because what's the most important thing that we're looking at here it is when we're talking one-on-one -on -one with somebody it's to bring somebody to christ hmm. never lose focus of that the issue is where do you stand do you realize that you have a moral nature and that you're doing things wrong why is that are you concerned well the lord jesus solved that problem what rob said at the end is really important to keep in mind that we keep focused and what the goal is. The goal is to present a reasonable justification for the gospel. Hmm. The gospel deals with your guilt before God. Amen. Uh, it's a great reminder that the purpose is not to win a discussion, but letting people know about the Lord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the most important thing is to steer people towards the gospel because that's the point. Welcome to the Patterns of Truth podcast, the place for casual discussion of biblical principles and difficult questions that face the Christian believer. We believe that the Bible can speak to today's issues, giving us the wisdom and the courage we need for our lives. We are so glad that you are joining us and you can always find us at patternsoftruth.org. Welcome. Thanks for joining us again at the Patterns of Truth podcast. I'm your host for today, Patricia. And this episode is the third installment of our very short series called Be a Witness. Today, we're going to discuss on how we can talk to people who are in the scientific community about the Lord, about the gospel. Maybe you're part of the scientific community or maybe you're not. Uh, we have a mix of both on our panel today. Just as a reminder, in our Be the, a Witness series, we focused on witnessing to people who have endured church hurt. We have talked about people who have been sexually abused and also people who identify as LGBTQ. So this is our last installment in the series, as I said before, and we're focusing on the scientific community. And as always, in our podcast, we want to take a second look at what we think we know as Christians um, and see what the Bible actually says. We want to better navigate and find a pattern for the reason why we live our lives before God. Today, we're joined by our guest, Rob Lederer. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, welcome. We have Peter as well. We've got Roy and myself. And Krista and I are not in the scientific field, but we are very interested in this topic anyway. So the first question is going to be for Rob, Roy, and Peter. How did each of you become interested in your area of the scientific field? And we can start with Rob since he's our guest for today. Well, thanks, Patricia. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm Rob Letterer, and I'm a retired high school teacher. I taught chemistry at the IB level, well, for a lot of years. I retired after 35 years of teaching and taught biological sciences and physics too. Married to a kindergarten teacher, and we raised a daughter who's also now a kindergarten teacher. Okay, educators in the house. Uh, live in Canada in Millerville, Alberta, and taught in Calgary and surrounding area for 35 years, like I said. So I was saved uh, over 40 years ago now and living the life for the Lord, right? Thanks so much. Awesome. Roy? Uh, thank you. Well, I've been on podcasts before, so if you recognize my voice, you know that I'm uh, Roy Tuzo, and I was saved very young, and I also grew up in a science home. My dad was a science teacher, something like uh, Rob just described. Hmm. So I can remember even as early as junior high or high school, sitting in the living room reading Scientific American, 
I was fascinated at that time by the particle physics. I never went into that, though. I got a bachelor's degree in math and then transitioned over to psychology, of all things. But this was a wing of psychology that was not very well-known, experimental psychology. We were developing mathematical models of how people learned. And then eventually got my PhD in psychometrics, which is a field of studying how experiments should be designed and how statistics plays into the results that you get. So it's actually a very interesting uh, Hmm. broad field. And Peter and I have had some discussions about uh, what's going on with the viruses and the vaccines in this regard, because design of experiments and statistical analysis covers a lot of different aspects of scientific work. So um, I've all along had something of a binary life, I suppose you'd say, dealing with the um, science community and also my faith. And uh, that's had its ups and downs. There's been some difficult times. But fortunately, I've always been surrounded by people. I have a very positive attitude. I think people that are not in the science community can have a very negative attitude towards scientists. And I think it's misguided. Scientists, by and large, are, well, let me back up just a second. We have a brand new six-month-old in our household, and it's such fun watching him (laughs) as he crawls around and investigates things. And so a scientist is somebody that never grew up. They retain that fascination with the world um, all throughout their lifetime, and they just can't get enough of figuring out how things work. So I I really uh, relate to that. So I think that it's very unfortunate that Christians tend to um, separate themselves too much from the science community and vice versa. Hmm. Uh, And there's reasons. We might be able to talk about some of those in this podcast, but obviously there are reasons that that happens, but it's certainly unfortunate. Peter, what about you? When did you first become interested in your area of the scientific field? Yeah, I was. Uh, so I was raised by a math teacher. Dad is a math teacher, and he was interested kind of in the science and medicine. And I loved biology and chemistry. Was really good at chemistry too. So became more interested in medicine. Loved medicine and uh, decided to go to pharmacy school. Um, mm-hmm. So I uh, took the medical kind of scientific part of our scientific field mm-hmm. and. Uh, Right now, I work as a pharmacist in a hospital. I'm very much involved with physicians, and uh, we read a lot of clinical trials to get any updates about guidelines or therapy. So these are things that are common that I do every day. And uh, I also teach students, pharmacy students, so uh, kind of fun to teach students. And when they're higher kind of in the college they, they listen more. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So that's my interest in science. Okay. Seems to be a running theme with all of us yeah. here. Like Teaching. starting out. Yeah. with Right. Yeah. Someone in our lives, right, was an educator and kind of piqued our interest. So that's pretty cool. So my second question is, what was the first awkward or uncomfortable moment in your lives when you realized that you may be an outsider in the scientific community. I know that Roy hinted towards something like this. Well, I can jump in and tell you that, well, boy, for me, it happened just before I was saved. And I had some uh, experience with an awkward moment when 
I was sitting in a lecture hall at the University of Calgary in 1980. A professor had come to be involved in a debate, uh, creation versus evolution. And it was, and his name is Dr. Dwayne Gish, Professor Gish. Some of you might know uh, that name. He was uh, a very famous debater for creation and creationism. And he worked with the uh, ICR, I think that was like the Institute for Creation Research. And I'm sitting there in the crowd and I was an invertebrate zoology student. So talk about being an evolutionist, big time. And I'm there to listen. But really, if I had an opportunity, I was ready to excoriate mm-hmm. and, uh, and to attack anything that he would say. And there were a lot more articulate people there that were, that were trying to do that, too. We were in a packed lecture theater. It was about 500 people. And actually, you know, as the debate went on, Professor Gish, he handled himself very well. And I was actually kind of impressed with how he was doing, Hmm. because what he did was he didn't really attack all of the different things in evolutionary theory that he could have. But he went right back to first principles and he went Hmm. back to the laws of thermodynamics and he started talking about entropy. He started talking about randomness in systems. He made his point about how could all of these or random things in the second law of thermodynamics help us, you know, to understand, and they should help you to understand that maybe an evolutionary process, which deals with greater complexity being formed through time might not actually work. Hmm. And so he really intrigued me. uh, And so much so that he had an evening session that occurred in Calgary that night. And I went to that. Not a lot of people did, but I did. And all of a sudden, Hmm. I was from a crowd of 500 people that were pretty much against his message. And kudos to him for having the courage to come and and, and speak (laughs) to us. That evening, I'm the outsider. And it's not a 500, it's like almost 5,000. It's just an auditorium packed with Christians. Mm. And again, Professor Gish spoke. He was very comfortable in that environment, of course, being with fellow believers. But what he did was he didn't deprecate uh, what had happened that afternoon in terms of, oh, look at those students and, and, and what they were thinking and, and how could they think that way. He's very generous in terms of explaining that You know, they ask some very good questions, and I hope that there are even some here this evening that would want to investigate further the things that I've said, but more importantly, to investigate the things of Christ. And you know, that did it. I mean, within a couple of months after that, Mm -hmm. after some real soul searching, I I was saved. And so that was my outsider experience. <laughs> um, and and it, it fell into the topic of today. Yeah. Yeah, that's really neat. I, I think I have the opposite of you, Brother Rob. I was a believer before I started being in college and uh, graduate school. I remember when I was in graduate school, uh, my biochemistry teacher, who was, I guess, an expert in the mitochondria, <laughs> he used to show us pictures of him with the uh, experts and he was talking about evolution and then he made this quick statement like quickly he said or you can believe of the magician who creates something out of nothing and i was surprised that you know he was so direct in saying this uh, so that was my first and then i Remember also vividly that I had a roommate and he was in med school and 
he didn't believe in you know God and creation and I was not prepared and I remember that he blew me out of the water with his arguments not that I believed it but I was not prepared to answer his questions uh, so that was an eye-opening to me too Oh, and, you know, I'm going to jump in by, by saying, too, you know, you, you mentioned that the professor said something interesting that got you there. Our professor that was in defense of evolutionary theory, and he was the chemist that was in the debate at the university that day. He says, give me one atom of hydrogen and I can show you how the entire universe was really created. And, you know, everybody's kind of like, oh, that's very impressive. But then, you know, I'm sitting there thinking. Yeah, but you had to be given that one atom of hydrogen. Why, you know, why, what kind of an answer was that? That that really didn't support any kind of argument on your behalf. And really, that you know, that that affected me. And I thought, no, hmm. there's something else here. There's something more to it. And that made me go that evening hmm. uh, to be witness to. Right. Wow. Yeah. And neat. That's really interesting, and it makes me think about um because both of you said how you were on the either side of whatever side of the debate in those moments in your life so and once again roy hinted about this about misconceptions that christians may have about the scientific community but then i have to ask what do you think is the biggest misconception that the scientific community has about us mm. as christians mm -hmm. i think one of the misconceptions is that you actually have to check your intellect at the door hmm. in order to believe what the scriptures say hmm. about how things um, started, <laughs> you know, and the and, and creation happened and the universe uh, became as it is. Hmm. Because, I, you know, it's just, it's certainly, it, it's not true that you have to do that. You know, the, the scientists would say, perhaps, that you have to kind of, you know, um, abandon the scientific method and, and your understanding to be able to believe in the Bible, right? Mm. And that's just absolutely not true. And sometimes we pit ourselves against, you know, it's Christians against the scientific community. And of course, th th there isn't really, there's, no, there's mm -hmm. no battle going on here. There are just some unbelievers in the scientific community. There are a lot of believers in the scientific community, right? Mm. And so we don't discount that. But for those in unbelief, for those that are against what the Bible would, would say, you know, I, I've had colleagues that just say, you know, this, this creation thing, it doesn't make any sense compared to, to evolutionary theory. And I would say, well, you know, if you just look at chapters three through six in Genesis from the creation of life on this planet, mm. and it talks about going from vegetation and then gives you a progression in, that the Lord created everything that actually kind of matches what your argument is in the fossil <laughs> record. So maybe your understanding of that record is incorrect. And maybe mm. it's the Lord telling you what that schema is in that first chapter of Genesis as to how everything occurred. So there are little things that we can glean from the from the scriptures mm -hmm. that back up everything that scientists has kind of found out on its own without relying on the scriptures. The scriptures are never going to tell you anything that isn't true, mm -hmm. right? That isn't how God set everything up. Everything is going to, to coalesce. Mm -hmm. Roy, what do you have to say? Biggest misconception that you've encountered that the scientific community has about Christians? Well, I, I have really a different experience level, I guess, or direction, because my field has always been in mathematics okay. uh, in some form or way. And most mathematicians believe in God. I, I think it's uh, when you see statistics that show uh, 80, 90 percent of all scientists discount the truth of God or belief in God and an afterlife, 
that number is skewed by the fact that there are 2 million practicing biologists Hmm. in the world and only about 10,000 practicing astronomers in the world. Hmm. Uh, When you start looking at physics, astronomy, and mathematics, you get a different distribution of of belief. And I I think that's interesting in its own right. But I'm just saying that I haven't really encountered the kinds of experiences that both Rob and uh, Peter are talking about. Now, when I was doing graduate work in psychology, yes, there was some conflict there, but it was more on a philosophical basis than uh, evidential. Um, for example, we were studying, I remember having a seminar in B.F. Skinner's, I forget even the name of the book, but um, he argued that all behavior can be explained by, um, by conditioning. Hmm. And, and there were people even in the group, they didn't believe in God, who really questioned that. Hmm. And even now, if you can see debates on, the, on YouTube about what is consciousness. Hmm. How can we explain that? So there is a real problem uh, with reductionism. And people you know, recognize the difficulty. Hmm. In fact, one of the most famous atheists points out that the problem of uh, reductionism cannot explain consciousness. So, and that's basically what's behind evolution is you're a mecha- um, materialist. You can't take a materialist point of view. In fact, Alvin Plantica at the University of Notre Dame, a rather well-known Christian philosopher, argues that naturalism defeats evolution hmm. from a philosophical uh, point of view. That's so great. that's kind of interesting. So uh, bottom line is I pretty much sailed through my education without too many conflicts. Okay. My hobby is also in astronomy. Okay. So uh, that's where you get the strongest evidence for a creator. In fact, Alan Sandage, one of the great astronomers of the 20th century, converted to Christianity at 50 plus years old. He actually went to the uh, uh, Sierra Madre um, Congregational Church just down the road from our Pasadena meeting hall. Hmm. And uh, it was the uh, Basically, it was a big bang that convinced him that there was a creator. Mm-hmm. He was a cosmologist following up uh, Hubble's work. Wow. That's pretty interesting because I think that a lot of times we are, as regular citizens, I guess, of whatever country we may be in, we're inundated with these like embedded philosophical arguments that maybe people don't encounter in a college classroom or in their yeah. particular field of study, but they're there. So. How should we think and respond as Christians to those cultural messages that are related to science, which do mock the Christian perspective? And I'm talking about like, you know, if you're driving and you stop behind someone who's, you know, at a red light and you see that bumper sticker where the Christian symbol of the fish right from the first century is a little different. There's some legs on it. Darwin's name is on the inside of that fish, right? And, or you may see a different one where like the fish symbol is being eaten by the fish with legs that has Darwin's name inside of it. Like, I know that's just a bumper sticker, but we see it, right? As Christians, how do we even respond to those things? Or even just t-shirts you might see, like believe science, right? Which almost seems like it's saying, don't have faith. Where do we go from here, Rob? Well, you just reminded me of the first time I saw that bumper sticker (laughs) and it, it, it was on a motorcycle Mm. and that we were on a trip and I saw this and you know, the first reaction was anger, right? I was angry at somebody co-opting a Christian symbol to use it 
in this fashion, right? With the intent of inflaming my, my anger, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, over time, what dissipates is, well, maybe I've still got righteous anger about it, <laughs> of course, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. Satan's going to use everything to provoke, mm. to push at the buttons. This is what he does, right? Yeah. To prod us. And I think that the wise thing is, is to take a step back, hmm. recognize that, right? Divest yourself of that kind of response and realize that there are people out there that have those different opinions. They want to push those uh, opinions. And what our job is, is really as believers is to witness for Christ hmm. the best way that we can to dispel the types of things that affect us emotionally about those symbols and those t-shirts that you, mm-hmm. you know, believe science t-shirts kind of thing and, and recognize that, you know, we're sinners and we need to be saved. And that's really mm. w- where we go with that. Right. And to stay away from being too critical, by the way, I wouldn't have problems with a t-shirt that actually said, believe in the scientific method because, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I, I mean, I am somebody who really does appreciate that and believes that my God is the God of science, Hmm. right? And so therefore the scientific method was something that he gave us Hmm. or at least allowed us to develop and is in total favor of. So we could do what he told man to do in Genesis chapter one, right? He said, man is going to subdue the earth. He, He said, multiply in the earth and subdue it. Subdue it doesn't mean to, you know, put it under our thumb or whatever. It's to actually understand the mind of God. Mm. It's to actually <laughs> to, to look at his creation, to figure out things that he has put there. And he's given us a mind to be able to do it. Mm. So go ahead and use that method that he has put <laughs> his stamp, I believe, his stamp of approval on, but just recognize the fact, of course, that he's the one that put it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good points there. So then, okay, so we see these messages, right? We want to make sure we're not responding in anger. So then how do we deal with people who are highly intelligent, who are in the scientific community, who don't believe um, in the Lord, who don't believe that he is a creator of this universe and everything that's in it? How can we approach those people, whether we're experts in that field or not? Roy or Peter, your experience with that? Yeah, I can add just something quick. Usually, people with PhD know a lot about something small. Uh, <laughs> so yes. I I have brilliant physicians come to me and ask me really simple pharmacy questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason is because they're not exposed to it or it's been a while since they were exposed. It's, it's really hard to know so much. Mm-hmm. Like the, the human mind can know so much um i was one of the people who are intimidated by names by stature or like big physicians were intimidating me but the more i start knowing them as people the more i felt like hey they're not much different than me so just the point is that intelligent is great but it's still limited Hmm. Um, uh, our knowledge is so limited. <laughs> yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah. Well, all of us fall into that category of having rather limited knowledge. You know how many, and Peter said it very, very well. <laughs> um, I think it's good to simply be familiar with others and uh, who are, have a great stature and who also are believers, like we mentioned, that 
Hmm. You, you can't just take a vote and say, well, most people are unbelievers, therefore that's the right way to go. Consensus doesn't really work because salvation is a matter of heart and conscience. But there are some really incredibly bright people who are believers. I think most of the Nobel Prize winners of the 20th century uh, were believers, hmm. uh, maybe not Christian believers, but they believed in God. I think that the term or the f- question that's usually asked is, do you believe in God and an afterlife? Well, that includes Muslims okay, uh, yeah. and, and others, but a good portion of them would be Catholics or evangelical Christians. Hmm. John Polkinghorne, a really great mathematical physicist at Cambridge, He's retired now, is a believer, outspoken believer. Uh, He's also a Jesuit. Um, He's a Catholic, but he's highly respected for his scientific work. And I already mentioned Alan Sandage and the head of NIH, Francis Collins, is an outspoken believer. Hmm. Now, not all of them are maybe what we would call orthodox, but I think we need to take people up on the fact that they've made a clear confession. And this is no small thing. Hmm. Uh, John Lennox is another, he's a Cambridge uh, mathematician. And he's come out, he debates on YouTube, um, a very, very eloquent and expert uh, in his field and in Christianity. Some of the best books I've read recently were written by him. So there are people that we can refer to. Right. And we can say, well, you know, I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. After all, there are many scientists who are Christians, for example. Right. <laughs> and then you name them. Yeah. And you don't want to be just be name dropping, but it's a matter of defending your position as being an intellectually sound position. So you tell young people who would be listening to this podcast, you tell young people in the classroom like I have over the years. You know, if you're going to be able to be conversant with somebody, <laughs> right, you got to read. And you've got Mm -hmm. to learn and you've got to be open Mm -hmm. uh, to being able to defend your faith. Uh, And if you're a science person, find ways to do that too. read the scriptures, read what others have have said too. these scientists that Roy is is, is mentioning, read their work, become familiar with it so you can have an answer. No, that's really, really good, because I think sometimes we do often in these conversations, we get a little bit out of our depth. Because I do think some at some point the questions or the conversations can be posed in a way to almost make a fool of us as Christians. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to expose what you don't know, right? And so instinctually, like as a human, you're going to say, oh, no, let me not expose what I don't know, because then it's a vulnerability, it's a weakness. But I know Roy often says to us, you know, a couple of things about be honest about the things you don't know. Talk about what you do know, and then also be okay with referring people to other resources, other people who are experts who can speak um, more specifically, more intelligently about that topic. You don't have to stand alone in this, which is which is a really great thing, uh, which is, I mean, for myself is a relief because I know I experienced that going into a college classroom and I kind of knew where it was going to be, right? Like how it was going to be in a, in a science classroom, but there's nothing quite like that first experience when you say, oh, wow, um, <laughs> they're coming for me, whoever that they are, mm-hmm. right? And it's a, it can happen in a myriad of ways. I know for me, you know, my professors, they didn't say anything like too crazy, but all my exams had 
answers in the multiple choice like options that were what you would say the typical Christian answers. And it was a it was a message to force us to choose. Right. Not to answer with uh, God exists. He created this world. It was to choose what was lectured on in the classroom. And it, I mean, it's kind of, you know, a really smart approach to influencing people. But I, I remember that feeling of like, wow, there's isolation, there's loneliness here. And there is a, there's an active, you know, like targeted effort in this moment while I'm taking this exam to make me feel that I am a fool, that I don't know where to go with this. And I just had to take the exam, right? I have to pass my classes, but I think we have these moments where, we just feel very out of our depth. So I'm really glad for what Roy, Rob, and Peter have said about, you know, it doesn't have to just end with our own intellect, right? So, um, but I'm thinking about three big questions that I think a lot of people get. And more than just the answer to the questions, I'd like to hear from you all on how to handle the questions. So one, creation versus evolution. Two, will climate change kill us all? And three, (laughs) How do we explain people in Genesis living for 900 plus years in scientific terms? No small order <laughs> for these questions. Um, but I think the greater value is how do we even handle those questions um, when they're posed to us? Well, you know, the creation evolution debate is going to just keep going on. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so really, it's just to, to have an answer to use the scriptures as best we can to be able to do it. My background, you know, was, was of, yeah, evolutionary biology. Absolutely. And so I have, I have familiarity with it and with an evolutionist stance. And I have now through the Lord uh, given uh, 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 through his word, of course, and then also by investigating uh, the things that Roy was even talking about, which is, um, outside of the realm of, of evolution, but to get into the statistical probabilities hmm. of an evolutionary process and why actually at the very basic level, uh, mathematically, cybernetically, it actually falls apart and doesn't work <laughs> very well. Hmm. Those are the types of things that can be put into your arsenal to be able to utilize when you are asked to be able to bring out and, and bring forth. Hmm. The debate's always going to be there. Hmm. It's just to become equipped with an answer and not in an attacking fashion, hmm. but in a defensing, defensive fashion to be able to give a seed and plant a seed in a person's thought process because what's the most important thing that we're looking at here? It is when we're talking one-on-one with somebody, it's to bring somebody to Christ. Hmm. Never lose focus of that. And we don't want to get into debates. What we want to get into is we're sinners and we need to be saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that is really the bottom line. And my approach is actually quite different, maybe a different from uh, what Rob just described. And I, I think what this points out is that you really need to know your audience. You need to be relating to the person that you're talking to. Mm. You can't just be preaching to them. You need to listen to them and get a feel for where they're at and discuss the issue with them. Mm-hmm. So the way I would approach that is to point out that the creation evolution debate is not a dichotomous deb- a debate. This is not a binary decision. Mm. And the evidence for that is the fact that, uh, as I said, 
we have people like Francis Collins, who is a believer. Obviously, he believes in creation, hmm. but he interprets the data consistent with his, not his worldview, but what he thinks the scientific evidence is going. Now, he may be right or wrong on that. See, I'm not going to debate that. But my point, what I would point out is that the decision to follow Christ is irrelevant to the creation-evolution debate. Hmm. And people who believe in theistic evolution will have a certain number of uh, explanations for Genesis and creation. Actually, the creation issue is very nuanced as well. Hmm. There are young earth creationists and there are old earth creationists. Mm -hmm. So this whole issue is very nuanced. And I think if we can get that around, get our heads around that, I think it really helps a lot mm -hmm. in dealing with individuals. Hmm. So what does a person really believe? You know, if he believes that we're descended from monkeys, well, now maybe you can take that up as an issue because there's a lot of debate about that. You know, which lineage do you want to pick? And all it just goes on and on. Hmm. But even that, you know, if you get right down to it, even the atheistic philosophers will agree that there's a problem with consciousness. We can't explain it. And so the issue is, where do you stand? Do you realize that you have a moral nature and that you're doing things wrong? Oh, well, where does that come from? Mm -hmm. you know, why, why is that? You know, are you concerned? Well, the Lord Jesus solved that problem. There's just so many different ways you can approach this issue. And I think what Rob said at the end is really important to keep in mind that we keep focused mm -hmm. on what the goal is. The goal is to present a reasonable justification for the gospel. Hmm. The gospel deals with your guilt before God. Amen. Yeah, amen. <laughs> oh, Peter, are you going to say something? Uh, sure. I. Uh, it's hard to uh, say anything after what they said, <laughs> I think. Um, they said it all. Uh, but just, um, I, I definitely don't have answer to any of these questions. And I'm going to add another question because oh. a dear friend of mine uh, told me, you know, you know, the Bible is full of myths. Uh, like the ark, can you even believe in something like this? Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes we want to give an answer right mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. And I'm just reflecting about my life and my work. Again, we want to establish credibility. So when I'm trying to establish credibility with a physician, mm -hmm. make sure that he trusts me, that doesn't mean to give him an answer right now. Mm -hmm. um, so they ask me a question, and if I make up an answer to look smart that I know it, and it's wrong, it, I lose all credibility. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But there is, I, I was worried at the beginning. I wanted to, you know, mm -hmm. give an answer. He asked me a question. Uh, but it's absolutely fine to say, hey, mm -hmm. uh, let me look into it. Yeah. I don't know. Let me think about it. Let me research and come back. Mm -hmm. And when you give an answer afterwards, it's much more valuable. He mm -hmm. values you. He didn't know the answer for a reason, uh, so he can ask me. <laughs> um, it was not an easy question. And these questions are not easy. And sometimes it's good to take time to answer them. Mm -hmm. And again, like both Rob and Roy said, uh, it's a great reminder that the purpose is not to win a discussion, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, there's a root 
thing that we need to mm-hmm. resolve, which is sin and just letting people know about the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to add something to what Peter said. I think there's a very important point here that really needs emphasizing for our audience. Avoid or be suspicious of pat answers. I think we are, Christianity is full of pat answers for questions that are actually very difficult. Hmm. And so I would really emphasize that, you know, what, what Peter really recommended, mm-hmm. uh, that's got to be our number one response. You know, right. if, if we have not thought about something carefully mm-hmm. and have a good answer, now that's not just a good answer for myself, but a good answer for others. I mean, and I think this is, where the iron sharpens iron parable comes in Hmm. from Proverbs. We need to talk to each other. We need to make sure that our thinking is straight, scriptural, sensible. And then we need to be really careful of just having something we've come up with, or maybe somebody had told us something that sounds really good, but it's not been thoroughly researched. You know, we need to be really careful. I think we lose credibility, just like Peter said, we lose credibility as Christians when we have these pat answers mm-hmm. that simply satisfy us. You know, I, I listened to a, a teacher once and he played the audience. It was just, it was so disgusting. He would say things and the audience was just howl with laughter because it was ridicule. Mm-hmm. He just ridiculed what he really didn't know anything about, but which he thought, you know, was wrong mm-hmm. in some fashion. That does not go over with non-Christians at all. Mm-hmm. And it's not even a good practice when we're talking to each other yeah. either. Yeah. What Peter said about getting credibility is absolutely number one. Mm-hmm. And avoid not just pat answers, but avoid the ones that are, that you can quote scripture by saying, and one of the scriptures, uh, Psalm 14, one, right. A fool saith in his heart that there is no God mm-hmm. and whoops to use that as a defense to somebody who who's maybe attacking you is not probably the best thing to say, <laughs> even though it's scripture, right? Yeah. All right. Say in his heart, there is no God. No, no, don't, don't, don't be using that mm-hmm. because now you're, now you're going to lose your testimony. So let's be careful about what we say. Yeah. Right. And I think there is an opportunity to pray. <laughs> I think sometimes we forget, but I, I love this song. Like, you know, Jesus is the answer for the world today, but I, tend to think about the first part of that. Jesus is the answer in the sense that I need to ask the Lord, right? When these questions are posed to me, whether I think I know the answer or not, and just say like, first, Lord, like, what? What is the truth? Where can I find this in the Bible if I haven't considered even this question before? And someone has a genuine question or for the Lord to give you the wisdom that someone is just picking a fight with you, to engage in a fruitless debate and to know like, well, Lord, how do I answer? Because sometimes I think we feel awkward, we feel anger, and we want to use that verse. Oh, this person's a fool. They don't believe in God. So we want to put up a shield to kind of ward them off, but maybe that's not the appropriate response that the Lord has for us. And like Rob was saying before, we want to allow the Lord to plant that seed within them. And if we just make a decision, that's like a defense against our own insecurities. That's not God's work. That's self-preservation. And we do have to take that time to pause and pray. And like Peter said, say, well, you know what, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one, whether if that's 
to kind of like breathe for a moment and talk to the Lord or to search out what the answer is. Um, because as you all were all saying, the most important thing is to steer people towards the gospel because that's the point. So bringing the conversation all the way back to our central question about being a witness, what are some ways for Christians who are within the scientific community to be witness to their colleagues? Because I think that's what's really hard. The people we work alongside who maybe we become friends with, or maybe we don't, um, but the people we see every day in our jobs, how can we as Christians in the scientific community be a witness to our colleagues? Rob? You show the love of Christ in your daily walk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's first and foremost. When there is trust developed uh, with your colleague, when they can see that you have that genuine care for them, Mm -hmm. their well-being, and the love of Christ comes out in your testimony, Mm -hmm. then you're going to be able to to speak with them when they need a word. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be able to listen to you without ridicule when you have something to say because they have invested in you because you've invested in them too, right? Mm -hmm. So just to show, again, Christ in what we do and say. Really good. Yeah, I'd I'd say a challenge I'm working on is... Uh, not being ashamed to share your faith in the right time. Hmm. Um, So often I shy away from sharing my faith, but uh, after you establish a relationship and you establish trust with an unbeliever or a coworker, it's it's probably the right time to share your faith. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Amen. That's a good point. Yes, because something sometimes we can say, "Oh Lord, was that the moment?" And the moment has passed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's like I think yes, definitely asking the Lord to help us make be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit when He's saying, "This is your opportunity." Well, I know I'm going to add those three questions to the patterns of truth um, Q and A section. Creation versus evolution. Will climate change kill us all? And how do we explain people living 900 plus years as recorded in Genesis? So I'm going to add that to the roster and hopefully we'll get back to those questions in another podcast. But I just want to say thank you so much to Rob, Roy and Peter for everything that you said in this discussion. It It is so needed, um, especially now, right, as we are recording this in the pandemic, when there's so many conversations about science and belief and faith and compliance. And there's a lot of these questions that maybe have been you know, bubbling under the surface. And now they are in our faces, whether we are in the scientific community Uh or not. Mm -hmm. So thank you for everything that you have said. And I know that we're all in search of more answers and more clarity from God's word. There will not be a day that goes by when the enemy isn't attacking what we know from God's word. And I just want to encourage everyone who listens to keep digging in the scriptures. We hope that this discussion made you think, gave you some answers, and maybe it piqued your interest. So you dig deeper into the topic. As Roy mentioned, there are some great, great scholars out there. They're on YouTube. You can read their works as well, who do believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and they are invested in the scientific community. So definitely look those folks up. And just as a reminder, the Patterns of Truth podcast is here to start conversations, stimulate our curiosity, and to point us back to Christ. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And until next time. Thank you for listening to the Patterns of Truth podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode. And we also encourage you to check out patternsoftruth.org, where we post articles every week for the encouragement and growth of Christ followers. 
If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to submit them on our website. I'm Peter. Until next time.